Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the GFFN Euro Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are Bleacher Report's lead football writer, Sam Tai, and GFFN writers, Eric Devin and Philip Bargiel. The quarterfinals have been completed, but with just three games to go, everyone can see the Coupe Henri Deloney in sight. But before we take a look at the fabulous Final Four, here are the latest headlines. Portugal qualified for the semi-finals on Thursday after beating Poland on penalties. Robert Lewandowski scored the, opened the scoring in the first few minutes before Bayern Munich midfielder Renato Sanchez levelled things up before half-time. Fiorentina's Jakub Blazikowski missed the decisive penalty as Ronaldo and company march on, despite not having won a single game in regular time. They will face Wales after the home nation reached their first ever semi-final with a win over Belgium 3-1. Roger Nainggolan put Mark Wilmot's aside in front before an Ashley Williams header made it 1-1 at half-time. A wonderful goal from Hal Robson-Canoe put Kush Coleman's men into the driving seat before Sam Vokes made certain of their place in the final four with a header five minutes from time. Germany overcame a stubborn Italy side for the first time in a major tournament as they won yet another penalty shootout. Messer Erzo gave them the lead in the second half only for a Leonardo Bonucci spot kick to send the game into extra time. After a few misses, it was Matteo Darmian's failed effort that meant Jonas Hector's successful attempt put Joachim Lowe's side into the next round. Host France hit five past Iceland on Sunday after a double from Olivier Giroud. Paul Pogba, Dimitri Payet and Antoine Griezmann rounded off the scoring while Colbyn Sig Torsen and Birkir Bjarnsson grabbed consolations for Lars Lagerbach's men. Le Bleu will now face Die Mannschaft for a place in the European Championship final. As for suspensions, William Carvalho will miss the semi-final for Portugal, while Ben Davis and Aaron Ramsey will be unavailable for Wales during that fixture. Mats Hummels has been suspended for the semi-final against France, while the hosts managed to get through without another player missing through two yellow cards. In terms of injuries, Germany will be without both Sami Khedira and Mario Gomez for the rest of the tournament, with the former nursing a thigh issue and the latter suffering a hamstring injury. And that is all for your news, but remember, to stay up to date, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN and at GFFN Euro 2016. We start with Les Bleus as they truly put Iceland to the sword on Sunday evening. Despite the plucky Scandinavians pulling two goals back, they were hit with five solid finishes that truly cemented France's place in this competition. Sam, was this finally a statement of intent from the hosts? I think probably, yeah. I think if you score five goals in this tournament, which has been a little dry in front of goal, I think it's probably a statement. And yeah, it was only Iceland, but you look at the game pattern and the fact that Iceland, of course, raised their game uh, so considerably for the for the other fixtures they've played, and the fact that Iceland are fundamentally very difficult to break down, or <laughs> we thought they were, perhaps. Uh, France did really well, and I think it probably is a statement. It is starting to come together. So Griezmann and Giroud being moved closer together as a strike partnership, much, much better. I'm much happier seeing that. I like to see uh, Griezmann in the middle or, or in between the lines, and that's where he really did the damage to Iceland. And to be honest, that is an area that England, for example, just did not stress enough. They did not stress the area between the lines. I, take, I, I understand that Iceland shrink that space and make it very small, but Griezmann ran the show from between those two lines, and it was, it was impressive to see France in full flow. 
even Matuidi played well, who I just thought, I think for the whole tournament has been so, so quiet, so disappointingly quiet. Yeah, it was almost like they arose from the dead, it seemed, in that sort of game. And we've, we've mentioned before on the podcast, Philip, that we felt that Griezmann was a better player in that central role. Do you think he was, he was really was the defining factor in that game to speeding up the tempo when France needed it? Yeah, it's strange because we, we talked about England and, and Hodgson not, not really knowing his formation. And here we are. We play 4-2-3-1, second half against Ireland, and uh, play really, really well because we score, we score two goals, don't concede any. And then against Iceland, as I just uh, knocked out England, we still keep playing this formation, which Dijon has not used um, that often. Uh, but uh, it suits Griezmann and it basically suits uh, everyone. So the whole um, pre-match worries were basically pushed away when we opened the scoring after after 12 minutes. Uh, Pogba hit a, a wonderful, wonderful header, and then it was just uh, it was just a Griezmann a Griezmann show. Pai Pai was uh, played uh, played very very well, and Pogba was so much better. Um, Sam mentioned uh, Matuidi who. Um, yeah, probably had his uh, his best game of the, of the tournament. I thought Pogba was uh, was uh, very good as well, uh, an extremely extremely good game. And let's not forget um, Musa Sissoko. Uh, we we didn't really have any uh, certainties if he would start or not, but he started and he played really really well. Eric, what really worked for the team in this one? What what was the moment they really clicked together? I mean, this is the kind of formation up front, at least, that you were really looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a, a, certainly an all-out attacking philosophy from, from Deschamps. I mean, each of these players, you know, despite Pogba and Matuidi being deployed as nominal uh, central midfielders, you know, we know from watching them enough that, that Pogba's gifts are, are better deputized going forward, and Matuidi likes to contribute as well, and usually he's the type of player who, you know, can run and get involved in an attack as a second or third runner, but he also showed... A lovely range of passing, particularly on the the, the goal for Giroud there, uh, which still might have been offside. But I digress. Um, yeah, it was just it was really pleasant to see um, to see France playing this way. Although I will say the other side of that coin is that despite Deschamps going for an all-out attack, that Iceland didn't really seem to respond in that nature. I think that France could have been a little bit more effectively neutralized, uh, particularly in central areas, uh, if the if the two strikers had pressed on the front a little bit more. I think that, you know, whether it's a matter of being tired from Iceland or just a matter of um, being unwilling to deal with the pace of the likes of Griezmann and uh, and Pae, that uh, they didn't really want to didn't really want to seem to uh, create opportunities on the counter and really press press from the front. I, I think that we saw uh, Sig Thorsen and and uh, Beer Davidson uh, not be nearly as active as we had against England. They weren't uh, constantly harrying. Uh, France's front line. I think that made things a little bit too easy for France in the end. Yeah, even given that 5-2 scoreline, the worry for the French, Sam, is that is that two they conceded. Will they be a little worried about potential issues in defence going forward against a team like Germany? Yeah, I mean, there are questions to answer in defence. I mean, I don't know if Mtiti comes back in or uh, com- comes in again or if, uh, you know, what what... What, who or who Koscielny's partner will be? That's a, it's a difficult decision for Deschamps to make. I thought that Evra, Sanya, and Umtiti were all beaten uh, at one moment or another against Iceland uh, in dangerous areas. Obviously, there were two goals conceded. I'll, t- I'll be honest as well. I mean, the formation does seem to suit Matuidi and Pogba deeper in midfield in the 4-2-3-1 against weaker sides, but. 
I wonder just how adept they will be in that system against a better team such as Germany. I mean, both Matuidi and Pogba players, you know, surging number eight for their clubs. Uh, Deschamps' 4-3-3 template has been quite consistent over the last few years, and they have both played those number eight roles. And they've always had someone behind them to mop up and, and guard that space just in front of the defence. Uh, and, and whether that's, you know, Schneidlin or... Uh, whether it's Lastiara or whether it's Johan Kabay, it has been someone who has been suited. Now, when you're playing against someone like Meza Ozil, who is so good at taking advantage of any space that anyone leaves or dragging people out of position, I would be more concerned about Pogba and Matuidi rushing mm. to the ball or opening holes for somebody else to use rather than the issues in defence. Because they're not, they're not uh, defence shielders, these two. I mean, they're very good players, but uh, they, uh, first of all, they, they never... They never really play in that system at club level, and um, it's not—it's not like uh, they're like some uh, a player. I'm thinking about uh, more of a, a Makelele type uh, type player who would just sit in front of the defence, uh, which Conte uh, did very very well earlier in this tournament. So, I think yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's a good point, and it needs to be addressed because uh, uh, this uh, Icelandic uh, very flat 4-4-2 is not uh, the same proposition that. Uh, uh, Germany will be on Thursday evening. So what does Deschamps do? Does does he put Conte back? Because he's a he's basically our only option for that uh, that kind of um, uh, work. Yeah, difficult, isn't it? I would I would put yeah. Conte back in. I I genuinely would. It's, Instead it's, of yeah, that's the, that's oh the... <laughs> no, that's the, that's I would the say Matuidi. I would say Matuidi. I think Elders yeah. too. He was uh, he was uh, the less Less performing one, even though he had a, he had a, an, an alright game. But uh, yeah, I would I would probably uh, stick Conte in front of the defence and put Pogba as a box to box with uh, with Griezmann as second striker. And that and that is what makes the problem, isn't it? Because Griezmann was so good in that middle area and has been so good in those couple of games where he's finally been played in that central role that we see him in at Atletico Madrid. And and now it's do we drop Matuidi or do we drop Pogba? And, that becomes the question, doesn't it, Eric? Do you drop someone like Pogba who can be that X factor, or do you drop Matuidi who can be? He seems to have grown really into this tournament. And this is a frustrating thing we had seen earlier in the tournament. Uh, Griezmann, for example, being dropped uh, as Deschamps opted for a more defensive system. And I think that I think that perhaps against Germany, I, I would I would tend to agree with Sam that that Conte should be brought back in. Um, you, you've got Sissoko on the pitch to help out and track back, so um, if you have a, if, if you have Conte on the pitch, that'll allow Pogba to get involved just that little bit more, um, and I think I think that could be that could be a difference against Germany. I mean, let's face it, if they come out with the same front six against Germany, and Germany score quickly, um, and then they're forced to, they're forced to press even more, they're just going to continue to be opened up and opened up um, without a, without a lack, without a true defensive midfielder. Uh, being deployed, and I think that's the risk they're running. That they need someone like Conte who, who can be that water carrier role and, and be a, a shield in front of the defense. I mean, let's face it, you know the way that uh, Umtiti and, and Koscielny played, you know, you know less than to be desired, but also the the way that those two attack on the pitch, they're not afraid to run to run with the ball to, to and to get dragged out of position. And I think you know with the cunningness of Germany's attackers, I think that. Without a proper defensive midfielder, you're really leaving the centre backs, whoever they are, uh, at a great deal of risk. And that would be the next point. Yeah. Who are the centre backs? Yeah, and that's the interesting point. Sam, would you be bringing Rami back in, or, or would you keep him seated there for a bit of uh, consistency? 
I mean, it's not uh, no. Uh, it's difficult. It's a difficult choice because I'm hardly enamoured with 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 Titi, with Titi or Rami, and I'm definitely not enamoured with Mangala. So uh, I would probably keep Umtiti in just because, even though Rami is obviously more experienced, um, I feel like he has a a real propensity for an error, which you know lots of club fans have seen. I think he's been on the verge of making a couple of bad errors in this tournament already. He hasn't seen, he hasn't really been punished by them or punished for them. But I feel like he's been just teetering on the edge several times, and I'd actually, I'd actually just stick, uh, keep him seated in. Mm. It all depends also on who uh, who Germany are going to play uh, up front if they are going to play anyone, because uh, my my worry is that uh, Lover has um, favoured a four-six-zero uh, formation, so with no forwards for a very long time, because as the attacking talent in Germany was uh, uh, not. Uh, not deemed to put a, a centre forward up there. Um, now is Gomez out for the tournament? I yes, believe. Yes, he's out for the tournament. Yeah. Um, it, does he put Götze or Müller as a false nine, and uh, just not not having someone up front to defend against? And that will be that will so Cristiani and whoever plays. I would also favour Titi actually. Uh, would be good for his, his own experience, and I think he's uh, he's our next um, our next great uh, defensive. Um, here's the next great centre back. Um, whoever, whoever plays there with Cristiano will have to be extra careful with uh, players coming in from from deep because if wh whoever it is, there's, there's not going to be an out and out striker, and that's going to be quite difficult to defend. Saying this, Germany don't really play that well in that system, which is good. Mm. Yeah, it's a minor positive to take. But mm. finally, on on France, Eric. The question marks over Giroud really lifted in that game. There's no worry of him against Boateng in this in this one. No, I don't think so. I think he's exactly the kind of, you know, if we've got Hummels out, I think he's the kind of player whose whose physicality and aggressiveness, um, when he is at the very top of this game, which he seems to be rounding into form, uh, just the right time for France. I think he's the, exactly the kind of player that can that can give them problems. I mean, he seems to be exuding confidence. He had a a quote talking about how he scored against Neuer before, and he's he's not worried about doing it now. Uh, I think that you know we see we've seen Giroud historically be a, a very patchy player, very inconsistent. But uh, when he's really riding the crest, crest of a wave, as he seems to be doing now, um, you know we see why Arsene Wenger brought him from Montpellier and and why he's been such an effective player at at, at certain points. And I think that this is one of them. Yeah, anybody else find the second half extremely frustrating for for players like Gignac or even even Payer when we were in, in great positions on the counter attack and just uh, it, it was it was a combination of not knowing what to do with the ball and thinking okay well if if I mess this up doesn't really matter because we're five one up. Gignac I found very easy to guess and easy to read. He does yeah. the same. He does the same move. The same thing all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which has been frustrating. I mean, I know he's cracked the bar with one of the, with one effort earlier yeah. in the tournament, which was a lovely strike. But you know exactly what Gignac is going to do when he gets mm -hmm. the ball in that position, and it, it it must be easy to read. It is annoying. Yeah, and and I didn't feel. Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't feel the others uh, having a pretty great time of it either. You know, uh, with uh, what was being. Because it's it's uh, we've we've uh, hardly ever been in that kind of position, being so far up uh, in the game, so early in the game, four 0 up at half time, and uh, I felt like uh, the players didn't uh, even maybe Deschamps didn't feel uh, didn't really see how to manage that kind of lead. They say, oh well, we're four 0 up. Well, that's uh, that's a relief, but uh, what do we do now? 
and I felt like they they didn't really know what to do. Well, do do they attack? Do they don't attack? And uh, it felt was a defense, you know. It it didn't. Um, I don't know. The 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 plan was um, was a bit over by half time, and uh, you know, uh, yeah. a whole half is quite a long time. That's the difficult the difficulties of being four 0 up, I believe. So yeah. that never that's a good problem to have. But we'll we'll leave the final word on this game for Iceland, Sam, who've really been a testament to what this tournament has been in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, they've been awesome. Um, it's been a tournament in which you know smaller nations and lesser teams, so called, have been have been given the opportunity to make an impact and lots of grumbles about maybe the dilution of quality and what I would say in that is that you know you see you see teams like Hungary and Iceland really give it a go and get through to the round of 16 that's great there has there have been a few teams that have been rewarded for drawing on purpose like Slovakia and that was a bit annoying but teams like Iceland are the reason we watch football you know it's the it's the storyline it's the shock and the clap they do is absolutely awesome so they're very welcome mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I think everyone here was just as surprised to see Colbyn Sig Torsen score two goals. That was about double the amount he scored for Nantes this season, but never mind, it happens in the Euros for some of them. So we'll move on to their opponents on uh, Saturday evening, which is, well, sorry, on Thursday evening, which will be Germany. Um, we've mentioned them briefly and the injuries they may have, but um, Eric, they didn't really seem convincing against, uh, again, a fabulous Italian side. Yeah, and again, it shouldn't. It should be mentioned too that you know this this was also an understrength Italian side. Uh, they didn't really have. They were forced to deploy Parolo in central midfield, and they didn't really have uh, the the ability of a, a Daniel De Rossi or a, a Tiago Mata to sort of mop up and, and help protect that three man defense. And again, you know, with these with this three man defense. Uh, getting forward and and being able to to shackle at least strikers. I, you know, it 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 didn't really look. Uh, the most fluid attacking performance for Germany. So, you know, as ropey as, and, and even Ozil's goal, you know, a lovely pass, but, it, you know, at the same time, you know, he barely gets the ball over the line. I think that, you know, if they are to persist in the system, which looks like is going to be the case, or some variation thereof, maybe Podolsky or Schroeder comes in uh, for, for Draxler or Miller, perhaps, but I think it's going to be a very similar approach from Germany. I think that you know, w- without a lack of a physical focal point that they've had in Gomez, uh, they don't look nearly as dangerous. And so for as much as we agonize and worry about France's defense, I think that, that Germany's attack is just as, as toothless and just as lacking. Yeah, and that's the worry or worry, isn't it, Sam, that once Gomez went off about 60 minutes in, that Germany seemed to lack any threat going forward against the Italians. Well, they ended up, they ended up sticking Draxler up front, um, which is probably never really the answer. Uh, I appreciate tournaments throw up some funny things and sometimes things can happen in your favour that you didn't expect but I don't think a Julian Draxler-Thomas Muller strike partnership in which neither of them really wants to get into the box is the answer and the Germans showed the Italians immense respect in in matching their formation and it was actually uh, at least in the early stages the first half an hour one of the most aggressive uh, games we've seen at the Euros you saw the way for goal kicks each team pushed up and marked man for man which was great to see after watching a lot of teams pack the edge of their own box and defend for their lives. So it was nice to see that sort of openness. But, I mean, Italy, they were not able to string too many attacks together. Pella and Edda were outnumbered 3-2 to two or 4-2, to two and Conte had to change formation to get back into the game. I don't know if you know, he went to 3-4-3 three, three after they conceded and immediately sort of played their way back into proceedings, won a 
set piece or penalty. The penalty was fortuitous. Jerome Boateng was being stupid, but they managed to play themselves back into that position. Then they changed back to 3-5-2 immediately after the goal and didn't really create anything else. So, yeah, Germany kind of hauled themselves over the line there over with a penalty shootout, but Italy never really stressed them out. No, I'm still not certain what Jerome Boateng is doing for that penalty. I think he's trying to fly next to. He's try- I think he's trying to say I'm not fouling him, ref. Like saying I'm not. I'm not I haven't pushed him over. And in the That's process of doing so, in the process. Like, yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's it's one of the yeah. It's it's that's modern football in a nutshell, isn't it? It's just telling you all over. But it's it. There are issues we've mentioned them already, um, Philip, of, of injury issues. Sammy Kadir will be missing out as well, so it'll be likely. People are uh, hammering for the likes of um, uh, Julian Weigel to maybe deputise or an Emre Chan, but it's more likely to be Bastian Schweinsteiger in that midfield. And and Hummels is another big miss for the for the Germans, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, when you look at the uh, Ukraine games, the only game Hummels did not play. Um, in the first half, Germany were quite uh, poor at the back, and Neuer had to pull out a couple of uh, decent saves. I don't, uh, obviously, I rate uh, Mats Hummels uh, higher than uh, Shakhtar Mustafi, and um, it's uh, it's a big miss for it's a big miss for Germany in midfield. I uh, for for uh, probably personal reasons, I would love to see Julian Weigel uh, on the pitch, a uh, lovely little um, defensive midfielder. Um, 1860 Munich Youth Academy got bought by Dortmund. Really, really good, uh, good player. But that's really purely for personal, personal reasons. And um, um, I, I, I reckon, yeah, Schweinsteiger, if he does play, will be um, very, very important. Not, not by what he does, but uh, the fact that he's on the pitch. Of, uh, I'm of the opinion that uh, Tony Kroos should, uh, should. Um, uh, Shall we say man up and uh, be more vocal on on the pitch and and probably in in the dressing room? But uh, right now, Schweinsteiger is, uh, seems like uh, the boss, and uh, it's not it's not a particularly good thing that uh, Germany have him on the pitch on uh, four fronts. I mean, um, and um, and yeah, it's a great boost uh, that, that they don't have a number nine. Like I said before, I I don't really uh, uh, I don't think that. Um, Germany have played well without um, a natural centre forward. So that's uh, that's uh, it's a lot of positive. But you know, we we always um, a bit a bit like England. Uh, we we always lose against the Germans. So it's um, it, you know it's it's still going to have to be have to be history will have to be made. Uh, we remember eighty two. Um, we remember eighty six. Remember two thousand fourteen. And uh, it's it's still it'll still have to have to be done. And it's not done yet. I mean, we have we have weaknesses. They have they have weaknesses. Uh, but um, you know, uh, it, it it just it just came out to um, a header on a on a free kick two years ago, and uh, and Germany got through and then won the won the World Cup. So you know, it's uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, well, that's good for fans. That's good for fans. But you know, uh, uh, fans still need to 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 go out go out and uh, and uh, and beat them and. Uh, not, not even sure if I'm looking forward to the game. <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't sound like you are, but Eric, that, that defensive issue without Hummels obviously suspended for the semi-final is, is a bit of an issue with, with Mustafi having a, a couple of worrisome moments in the first game and Hoedes playing that more central role against Italy. Which one would you go for in, uh, to partner at Botec? I th- I'd go for Jonathan Ta over, 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 over either of them. <laughs> Honestly, no. I, I think ahead. that if if we look at the way that that uh, Bayer Leverkusen finished their season, uh, it it was uh, a climb up the table uh, to get back into their habitual Champions League places, and I think that 
the way that the top played as part of that uh, to improve what had been a somewhat iffy defense was was really impressive. And I know he's young, but if France are willing to give him TT a chance, you know why can't Leverkusen uh, be giving giving Ta a similar chance? Or why can't Germany be giving Leverkusen player a similar chance? I should say. <laughs> That's a that's a daring shout, Sam. Do you think you would go for something like that, or maybe a safer bet like Hoyders? I think I might be a safer manager uh, in principle. <laughs> I I love Jonathan Tari. He's a he's a he's a great player, but I wouldn't. Uh, I think France's and TT selection was uh, slightly more forced at this point than than Germany's, because Germany, of course, already have Mustafi, who played the first game and scored. They have Hoverdes, who I don't actually think he's that good uh, by the sort of standards that Germany set by their centre backs and. His, uh, his lack of mobility irritates me, and when he plays at right back, he can't really contribute to the build-up play, and it sort of stunts Germany on one side. So generally not that much of a fan of Hovedes in this Germany side. I'd play Mustafi, and I'd continue with Kimmich at right back, although Payet versus Kimmich is on paper one of the most one-sided battles you, you could think of, because Kimmich, while a wonderful player, is fundamentally a holding midfield, played centre-back for Pep, but when you play centre-back for Pep, you, you play a slightly different role. At right-back, he has looked a little shaky at times. That's the area to go for, I think. Yeah, that's the, it's, it's going forward that many people are focused on Kimmich in that right-back role, but he has been maybe a little suspect that right-back area defensively, and that's still an area that, that Germany might have worries, Philip, if, like you say, Payet playing in that kind of area, creating chances and... and it, would it be sensible maybe to play someone like Weigl if, if Griezmann plays in that attacking midfield role just behind the striker? Yeah, and uh, but as, as, as a big problem is, is that um, uh, you would change the whole the whole setup of the German of the German side if you uh, suddenly put Hovedes a centre back at uh, his uh, his preferred position. He's not he, yeah he's not world class. He's not he's not bad. He's not a bad player. Otherwise he wouldn't be playing at uh, at Schalke even though well they haven't been. Uh, um, Superb last uh, uh, last season, but uh, if you do that, you have to put uh, Kimmich at right back because there's no real other option. Then you have to put someone else at um, on on that side of midfield. Um, so yeah, really, uh, I don't. Uh, I reckon that uh, Love doesn't really have a have a chance to put uh, to to put um, Weigel on as a Schweinsteiger vocally. He's uh, so so important to to the squad. And uh, it would be would be good if uh, Schweinsteiger would uh, be uh, absolutely knackered doing the um, um, what's it uh, what's it called uh, after ninety minutes extra time yeah extra time uh, in the thirty minutes of extra time uh, I don't think he's he has uh, two hours of uh, high tempo football in him and that would be uh, that would be great if he got uh, really really tired. The, the thing with Weigel and Kroos is they are very similar players uh, in terms of their sort of metronomic quality in, in, with passing. So uh, if you want to play, if, if Germany go back to 4-2-3-1 mm. and they want to get a little bit of thrust from, from slightly deeper, if they want a player to propel forward, Schweinsteiger is not what he was, but is still better at that than Weigel. And Emre Can is much is much better than, than Weigel at that at that forward forward giving game. So mm. Weigel and Kroos are so similar. I wonder if Love would not be that interested in playing them both at the same time. Hmm. It will be an interesting battle for that centre midfield spot with obviously probably Schweinsteiger coming into that role. But let's have a final word on Italy, Eric, because I will hold my hands up and say, as probably many people did, that I thought Italy would be that disappointment with the with the side they have. But 
bit, and they've also highlighted how good of a manager Antonio Conte is down there. Yeah, I think that you know we've got a, a lot to look forward to. I think that obviously the, the quality that is available to Chelsea and that we've got that will be coming to the Premier League and, under his auspices is is you know certainly of a higher level. You can buy players as a club manager, but this you know I think this is really a testament to uh, to playing collective football, to to being inventive and making the best of what you had, and. You know, I think in terms of quality of, of play, you know, Italy, yes, are out of the tournament, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're are probably going to be looked upon as the second or third best team um, in the tournament, you know, provided, depending on who wins. I, th I think that, you know, to have to have a penalty shooter end in that way was, was just, you know, was just an early disappointment, but, you know, through, through injuries, through suspensions, um, you know, I think that Italy were were more, much more than the sum of their parts, and that's a huge credit that has to go to Conte. I think that, you know, for, for all the, the success that Love has had, I think that, you know, Conte is probably in a class apart as a manager in this tournament. Yeah, and, and thinking back to the fact that they're even missing the likes of Marco Verratti and, and Claudio Marchisio in those midfield areas that would have, I'm trying to imagine the kind of Italy side we might have seen if those were, were fit and available, but they were terrific and... I'll happily eat my words on that one, but it was a fantastic night on Friday evening for for some of us at least, as as Wales created probably the upset of the tournament as they beat Belgium three one. Sam, it was a pretty special night, wasn't it, for that game? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, as an Englishman, I'm a bit conflicted here because uh, having watched the video of the Welsh players celebrating manically at our exit. I sort of start to think, well, I've been I've been really happy for you, so I'm feeling, <laughs> and your tournament, so I've been feeling a bit conflicted about it. But as the storylines go, it's even better than Iceland's, and that takes some beating. Um, and it's my my opinion is that if if Gareth Bale can haul Wales into into this final, and there, for me there is every chance of that happening. Uh, I think it's a, a near enough a 50-50 game uh, because Portugal have been so so poor in, in parts and Ronaldo has struggled so much that Bale, you know, if he carries that form into the first half of the Real Madrid season, like he's got that, that man has a Ballon d'Or coming. You know, he's been he's been that pivotal to such an incredible story and such an incredible upset. It's it's awesome for Wales. Yeah, and, and he's been terrific, especially it's ever since it's been that last third of the season and that especially that Champions League performance where for the first half he seemed like an unstoppable machine and he's really carried that on for his for his career with Wales and they were they were especially in that second half, Philip, against Belgium, they were really, really going for it and, and Belgium just didn't have an answer. It's one of these games where I don't really know if Wales played well, if Belgium were play, were really, really bad. Obviously, Wales mm. played quite well. Um, but um, I, I really thought that Belgium should have reacted to Wales' reaction. Uh, Wales uh, equalised on a uh, uh, corner. Ashley Williams, um, a, very, uh, a defender I rate, really. I've watched Swansea many, many times, and, and Williams many, many times. And he is, he is a, he is a decent, uh, decent centre-back. But uh, then... You have you have a game where Belgium did have quite quite a bit of the ball, but two moments of utter craziness in football terms. We got uh, an unemployed footballer putting three defenders um, on their on their bottoms and doing a fantastic finish against a goalkeeper like Thibaut Courtois, who's up there with a was the finest in the world, and then some folks with a wonderful wonderful header and. 
I I do believe it. It, it is it is a those are fairy tale goals because I don't I I don't see either Harwaps and Kanu Sanvo scoring those every weekend uh, in the English leagues. I believe one of them is playing in the lower leagues or was playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you'll get to play to a higher level uh, after that. And uh, yeah, Belgium had uh, had no reaction. There was uh, there was not much uh, not much in the. A lack of uh, complete lack of uh, of character from uh, the De Bruyne, the Hazard, the um, um, actually I thought Lukaku had a decent uh, had a decent enough tournament. Um, so extremely extremely dis- disappointing that this this wasn't much more of a contest because before Wales third, I didn't you know you didn't feel that Belgium would uh, would go back and and basically um, revolt themselves and say no we cannot go out of this tournament in such a fashion against Wales. We have to react. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't feel that. I, I, I didn't feel like uh, they. Uh, there was. A, there was some kind of um, revolution in their heads, which is the most. Which is the most uh, disappointing because they, they have world class players playing in world class clubs. Um, I've heard there's, there's been unrest in the squad, in the atmosphere. Some players not really happy with Wilmot, so some players wearing with uh, others. I mean. I don't. Uh, I don't it's know. Not, it's, it's not surprising, is it? I mean, they don't. They, don't look, they haven't looked. Yeah, it's it's not it's not surprising, but I I I actually actually reckon that this happens in most squads. But I don't yeah, know if uh, how how, yeah. how much you can you can you can put uh, put weight on that. But I, I don't really know wh- uh, who is at fault or who who made a row or anything like that. Because, I mean, we we are not, obviously not in the dressing rooms, but yeah, it uh, it doesn't doesn't seem so surprising. The players are upset at Wilmots for for not putting this team together in a way that makes sense. I mean, mm. let's be honest. This team at its best is flowing, it's attacking, it's dynamic. And then Marijuana Flaney's on the pitch. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, hate, I hate to be crass, <laughs> but the way he's de- deployed these players makes no sense to me. I think that... A 4-2-3-1 is the best way to approach, but I think that we've seen with Atletico Madrid this season, uh, Yannick Ferrer Carrasco, for example, is a fine player. But how is he How is he being used by Diego Simeone, for example? He's being used uh, on the left wing as a change of pace, whereas Wilmot plays him from the first, so his his, his change of pace is not, is not as... Uh, it doesn't make as much sense. And then when he brings him on, instead of bringing on a natural replacement, the likes of, uh, of Idris Mertens, for example, maybe Divac Origi, he brings on Fellaini. And again, you know, he there's a little bit of rejiggering as to who's where on the pitch, but the fact of the matter is, is he's got supremely talented players to not only start a match, but to have a change of pace to bring them in, whether that's an OAG or a Ferrer Carrasco or or, or a Batshuayi, uh, to come on and make a difference. He, he has the ability to deploy this team in a way that they not only start as a strong team, they finish as a strong team. And yes, I, I know the injuries and suspensions to the likes of uh, Vermaelen and Vertonghen have been an issue to, to overcome, but... Uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, Rob Sakano making people look silly aside, uh, as lovely as Wales were, you know, Belgium had had the chances to to, be. to to if they any of the match, they looked very, very dangerous. It looked like Nyland's goal could be the first of many. But the way that they responded to to Wales' equalizer was just to completely lose the plot. And Wilmot started getting desperate. He started totally rolling the dice instead of saying instead of bringing things back to say look we looked threatening in the first first third of this match how do we continue to attack in that manner but rather than doing that he just made a bunch of substitutions that just seemed totally arbitrary I get they were all attacking substitutions as they chased the match but 
they didn't seem to be the right use of these players um, in a tactical situation that gets the best out of them. There's definite correlation between Belgium looking very poor and Fellaini being on the pitch and like you know in the first game they were bad when he played he was brought on in this last game and they got worse systematically uh, you know everyone likes everyone loves to hate Fellaini and he's a, a very popular Freud figure but honestly uh, in this team you can see that Fellaini damages the build-up play and damages the flow of the side it was there's a very direct correlation and I agree the substitutes were, were done in a, in a sort of scatter-done, scattergun fashion and it was sort of shades of Roy Hodgson really when he was trying to rescue his own job uh, when he ends up with five strikers on the pitch and Marcus Rashford on the left wing, it was very, very much let's throw these players on and see what happens. It wasn't wasn't much in terms of a methodical thought process when when making them. Have you got? Is, the, is, is, is he still Belgian manager? It, at the moment, I'm not seeing anything yeah. from being sacked, so he's still in the job. But I'm I'm hoping you have a graph of that, Sam, of correlation between Fellaini coming on and Belgium being poor. But uh, <laughs> uh, um, I, I couldn't I couldn't believe half of them. I mean. We've seen Moussa Dembele for Tottenham be terrific sometimes this season and, and, and be an impenetrable first. And he never, I don't think, he, did he come on at any point? I'm pretty certain he didn't in any game. He, he started the second game, didn't he? But he got injured and then didn't come back. But again, <laughs> again, he was he was you know, second choice. He wasn't he wasn't one of the first three central midfielders on that team sheet. I absolutely understand playing Nangalan because he's fantastic. Witzel is the second in command. That leaves a third spot. There's no way it should go to Fellaini when Dembele is in your squad. No, and and it, some of the movement seemed strange. I'd, I'd, one game he brought Benteke on, which didn't make much sense, really. He brings Batshuayi on for two minutes and he grabs a goal and thinks about using him again. It, it, it seemed frustrating that he couldn't find what sort of a semblance of a team that would work against... To be honest, a, a Wales side that in that first 20 minutes looked completely shell shocked, especially after that Ryan Reginine goal and Thunderbolt, they were they were absolutely uncertain. They were worried. It was ripe for the picking, especially for for players like Hazard who, who thrive in those kind of conditions. If they counter in, if they allow Wales to come forward and Lukaku to get in those spaces in behind where he does like to get into, they could have absolutely annihilated them. But they allowed Wales back into the game with. <laughs> The worst piece of marking I've ever seen at a corner for a long while. Ash who leaves Ashley Williams on their own? Who is the freest header? He, he had the he had the entirety of the stadium to try and head that one. It, but putting Belgium's poor performances aside for a moment, Philip, what went well for for Wales? What worked in that game for them? Um, I reckon. Well, what, well, first of all, there's that marking uh, that you mentioned on on the corner, and um, and I, I think if Wales were shot uh, earlier in the game, I thought Belgium did not really expect that much um, opposition from the Welsh, and uh, to be honest, neither did I. I didn't expect Wales to be at the races. So at this stage of the of the competition, and be on uh, every on every challenge, and uh, that unsettled Belgium. Even at one one, you could feel that they were is a more uh, stressed uh, side on, on the pitch and that they they expect they probably expected after winning beating Hungary 4-0 uh, a bit uh, uh, bit of, bit of the same and 
yeah. If 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 um, the team does lack cohesion and uh, maybe aren't aren't really aren't really happy playing together, uh, when you're under uh, a bit of stress, it's uh, it, it must be quite uh, quite difficult. And you can you you could feel that on on the pitch, and and Wales probably um, felt that and uh, went for every challenge, did uh, did very well with them, and then said, okay, well, if we if we can do that, we can score two goals, and they did. Wales actually have not been very good for a 90-minute spell. They have, I don't think they've really put together a game yet <clears throat> where uh, where they've played very well for an entire game. But they do. They play in patches. They play in 20-minute spells. And the defensive line, I think, has been really good. So Ben Davies suspended for the semi-final. That's a problem. I think James Chester has actually been really, really good in this tournament. He's really impressed me. And, of course, you've got Ashley Williams as well. So when you've got a back three as solid and as disciplined as them, uh, and Gunter and Taylor are willing to are willing to come back. Um, the the work rate to get yourself through those sort of iffy 15 minute spells. Wales are just sort of they've taken the pressure of games on their own shoulders and they've come out the other side. And you know there have been teams that have wilted under those same circumstances. Wales refused to. Yeah, and, and you've mentioned a player there, Sam, in, in James Chester that's not played that much football in the last eight months, nine months at West Brom, and he's he's really, really played well in that back three with Ashley Williams and Ben Davis. And you mentioned he's missing another big player for them missing is Aaron Ramsey for this semi final. It was a it's a gutting moment, Eric, to see him so upset and miss knowing that he would miss that likely semi final. How big of a miss will the Arsenal man be? Oh, I mean, absolutely fan- fantastic. I, mean, I think that, you know, for as much as as much as we've seen, you know, an underdog story, it's it's down to the the, the balance between work rate and class of of Bale and Ramsey. I mean, we both like to think of them as as these attacking players who can do fantastic things with the the ball at their feet or in terms of their passing. But um, you know, look at their tackling statistics. Look at their average position on the pitch. These are players who are 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 demonstrating not only their talent but their committedness to to a team effort and I think you know for me right now you know with the tournament to end today Ramsey will be in my team of the tournament I think that he's been absolutely fantastic and we've seen you know how impressive this player is at his best for Arsenal and I think now that you know that he and his teammates are being given a uh, a platform upon which to work he's really being able to make make the best of those those attributes um, throughout this tournament and it's it's Really impressive to be reminded, you know, how just how good of a player he is uh, when he's at full fitness, which has been something that's escaped him in the recent past. Ramsey again, it sort of epitomizes that Welsh kind of. He fades in and out of games a little bit. I mean, have, some of his passing has been a bit iffy. He's had ten-minute spells where it hasn't really gone for him. But his production in terms of assists and making it count in the final third has been—it's been almost unmatched. I mean, we're, we're, he's in sort of Dimitri Payet and Gareth Bale areas in terms of or on that level in terms of his ability to produce and his ability to garner assists and goals. He's been really, really good. And yeah, he's come through some iffy spells in the games, but wow, is he incisive when he needs to be? Yeah, and that, that detail of the difference between the two blondes in Ramsey and Fellaini, I think, as well. But <laughs> it, it will still sound like an absurd question, Philip. Can Wales win it all? Um, I hope not. Um, I hope <laughs> I hope they I hope they do they do well against. I hope they beat Portugal, uh, given uh, given uh, the football they've played. Um, and um, uh, to, to to be honest, I I am a bit pessimistic of their chances against Portugal because of. Ramsey, because 
because of Ramsey missing and because maybe of that back four not being the same that it usually is, um, and uh, Portugal usually being extremely lucky in those uh, in those circumstances. Even though well, they sometimes don't don't uh, don't win their their semi-finals like back in um, like back in 2000. But uh, other than that, yeah, I mean, uh, we talk about Iceland being a breath of fresh air, and uh, so so are Wales. So I think yeah, well, basically, if you if you have a, if you have a, if you are in the last four, I think you've got. Uh, Every chance of uh, of winning it, and once again, I hope not. <laughs> well, well, I I won't try and hide my allegiances anymore. I know I'm only claiming to be a quarter Welsh, but I've never seen my dad prouder of of a team put performance like they did on 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 Friday night. It was really something special, and I'll go and enjoy the game on Wednesday and hope for the best. And fingers crossed that they can they can get over the line and get to the final and. Hopefully that might be one against France. It'd be a real cracker if it is. But they have to get through Portugal first. Who? I'd, rather, I'd much yeah. rather face uh, France, Wales, Wales, and Portugal, though. <laughs> that, oh, that wouldn't be so much of a surprise because they managed to beat Poland on penalties um, on Thursday evening. It wasn't hitting the heights of the past again, Sam. But they're in the semis, even though they've not won a game yet in 90 minutes. Yeah, I don't know how they're doing this. Honestly, it's been uh, it's been quite the effort. I mean, perhaps we should not be so surprised. Their coach is Fernando Santos, who was the Greek coach at the 2014 World Cup, and you know he produces some very very solid performances at times, but rarely do his teams win by more than one goal. And I think there is a, I don't know the exact statistic, but I think it's between it, Santos has not yet lost a competitive game since stepping in or something like that and they've all been all, all of his wins have been by uh, one goal so he's keeping he's keeping with with his record um uh Portugal's midfield confuses the hell out of me I don't know what on earth they're trying to do um I understand that they're trying to play a sort of a narrow 4-2-2-2 and compensate for the fact that they don't have any strikers by playing two strikers which is quite novel um Ronaldo and Nani. I mean, I think Nani's been quite a good link player, actually, quietly been their best forward. Um, but you know, Santos has been through six or seven central midfield options. Uh, he's got a def- he's got a holder in William, or in this case, it will be Danny Lucas Williams suspended. And then the other three, they just kind of run around a bit. And in the in the quarter final, you know, Ronaldo Sanchez started, you know, left centre midfield kind of, and then. Ended up scoring from outside the box on the right. Then he took a switch pass down on the right flank. Then the second half started. He was on the left wing, and it, you just look at it and you think, how? What is the plan? And I just feel for the the holding midfielder because he looks up to pass the ball forward, and every time everyone's in a different position. It's like they're playing musical chairs. So for for me, Wales very well drilled, very well organised. Yes, they were now Ramsey, but they know exactly what they're doing. This Portuguese midfield mess, it really does play into their hands. Yeah, and watching Renato Sanchez, he's a wonderfully talented youngster, but he's a bit like a Jack Russell in the middle of a massive field at the moment, <laughs> running around wherever he can find space. But Eric, we've mentioned their attacking options. They have the likes of probably the, one of the best strikers and finishers in the world in, in Cristiano Ronaldo, but they've really struggled to score goals. I mean, they've only scored six so far this tournament. What's the issue? Well, I think it's, a, it's you know, for, for as... Uh, Lovely as attacking players like Sergio Moutinho, Quaresma, and Joao Mario can be, they're not really that tricky and that fast. And they're in the ability to create space uh, to whip the ball in on a cross or or to to link play along the ground at the edges of the area isn't there because it's too easy for for other center backs and and opposing def- defenders uh, to to close these players down. I mean, you know, like I said, Joao Mario is a, a lovely player, but 
you know, at his age 23, I believe, you know, why he hasn't, uh, you know, earned a move to a bigger club. You know, Bernardo Silva, not in the squad, uh, having had some injury issues with, with uh, Monaco this season. He's someone I would have liked to have seen. Uh, you know, there's there, there's creative players available to Portugal, but uh, the way this team is put together, there's just a little bit of slow-footedness, and without that ability to be to be quick and decisive on the counterattack, you know, with the except with the exception of Sanchez, I would argue, uh, I think there's a, a, a bit of sluggishness, and and that and that sort of feeds all the way through the team. I mean, you know, even Carvalho is a fantastic player, but you know, as we've seen, he has a propensity for booking. He's a bit slow-footed. Um, that ability to break at, at pace, you know, and, and open up these teams that are being, you know, really defensive and obdurate, uh, is lacking the way this Portuguese midfield's uh, constructed. Going back to that midfield that both of you already mentioned, and, and Philip, we've watched João Moutinho a reasonable amount of times for Monaco, and he's just not really clicking in this side. Again, he's not really finding that form that he's, he seems to have struggled with for the past two or three years now. Well, is it that surprising, given um, uh, the very apt description that um, uh, we gave of the Portuguese midfield, the Portuguese organisation? Monaco is extremely, uh, extremely organised, and João Moutinho um, is... Um, it's quite, it's, quite, it's quite clear what his uh, instructions are there. Uh, I don't. I don't believe that uh, it is quite clear what they are for, for for Portugal. Um, so I'm not. I'm not entirely. I'm not entirely surprised. Going forward, that is. I mean, uh, when they don't have the ball, Portugal are, are not um, uh, are not 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 that bad. Uh, I don't think they have a particularly uh, bad defence. Pepe is a good uh, is a good defender, and uh, yeah, it's it's one of those midfields you you don't really know what uh, what everyone is doing, but so uh, you know it seems to be working somehow, somehow. Just about. Yeah. <laughs> it's the weirdest cobbled Hopefully, together midfield. It'll crack sooner or later. But uh, Sam. The, let's talk about the positives for Portugal. I mean, they've been relatively solid in other than the Hurungri game, and they've got interesting fullback options like Rafael Guerrero to play as well. Yeah, defensively, correct. Not bad. I think that's quite <laughs> that's quite well a lovely way to put it. They're not they're not that bad. This um, is a strange team. <laughs> Pepe has had a really good tournament, um, which is definitely noteworthy. Um, as you point out already, he, he, I think he's been really impressive. Um, it's interesting because they started the, they started the tournament with uh, with <laughs> with some different players in the lineup. Carvalho has been dropped along the way, and uh, Joseph Font has come in, who is a really really good player, and I think he's probably better than than Ricky Carvalho now. So that's the right choice. Cedric has come in on the other side for Vieirinha, who is a bit of a liability defensively, although Cedric. You know, in that game, he misjudged the header, didn't he, for Lewandowski's goal in the mm. round of 16 game, and that could have been curtains for him, but he's he sort of bounced back and has been better. So, yeah, I mean, a, again, unsurprisingly, a Fernando Santos team is looking pretty decent in defence. That's, <laughs> well, it's exactly what you would have expected. It's almost like that will be written on his gravestone, but it, 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 I feel sorry for Villarreal in all honesty. I, I can remember when he used to play on the wing, and then everyone decided that there was better wingers than him. So he's the—he's almost like the Portuguese Ashley Young. He's turned into a <laughs> functional right back that doesn't quite understand his role, but will will play it if you've played in there. But 
Well, him and Cedric are really similar in that aspect then. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because, I mean, because Cedric has spent the entire season in, in the Premier League sort of pushing forward and, and he's a really good crosser of the ball and when you play the ball out to him he maintains the width and he, he spearheads the attack from the right side. But Ronald Koeman, he would not trust him defensively last season and he ended up playing Cuco Martina at right back for the last sort of 10 or so games. And Cuco Martina is not a very good footballer. He scored a wonderful goal <laughs> against Arsenal with that lovely sort of bending strike that everyone will have seen. And that is about it. Now, he's not great. Cedric is a much better footballer than Cuco Martina. But the fact that Kuman just could not bring himself to trust Cedric, that tells the whole story. And Santos, of course, didn't initially as well. That's why he played Villarina. But, hey, he's yeah, less trustworthy than Cedric. Plus, Southampton always scored great goals against Arsenal. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not very, not very logical, but they, they just do. Let's not forget, um, the, so you mentioned the right back. Oh, I really want to mention the, the absentee, actually, of, uh, it was last Wednesday, I think, or maybe maybe it's Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Rafael Guerrero, our own uh, Rafael Guerrero, who plays for plays at Lorient, uh, transferred to Borussia Dortmund, who's had a, a fine tournament. Um, is he playing tomorrow? I'm thinking, I'm I think, he, I, think I saw something in uh, one of the Portuguese papers just posted on Twitter that he is fit and ready. So, yep, okay. it's, up, it's up to Santos to pick, but it looks like he is available. Yeah, okay. I, th I, I, th I agree with you, Philip. I think, I think he's been impressive when he has been able to play. I think it was especially in the, uh, the round of 16 game that he, he, he really flew down that left-hand wing sometimes against uh, Croatia, and, and he... He just adds that extra dimension that they seem to be missing sometimes. The the problem with playing the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and Nani up front as orthodox strikers, as we've already said, is that gives you absolutely zero width because the fullbacks aren't pushing, have to absolutely bomb forward in that, that 4 3 3, that, well, an odd orthodox sort of way. They try and play a 4 3 3 that doesn't kind of work. They play Marit. Jose Mario somewhere they play like we've mentioned they seem to just hobble cobble players together like it's Sabutio but uh, let's let's mention Poland for a minute, minute Eric they were probably a little bit unlucky really in this one they, they got off to a great start and finally it seemed like Lewandowski arrived as soon as he needed to be shown the back door as well yeah I think that the, the Poland gave their best but at the same time at the same time, I think I just kind of wonder, you know, given the way that they play, given how high energy their game is, and given that uh, Navalka hasn't made a whole lot of changes uh, in terms of resting players, rotating players, uh, I think this team's just 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 out on the tiles. They've they've worked really hard and produced a series of impressive performances, uh, but I, I think that just fatigue after a long you know a long league season is 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 probably cut up to these guys. You know, they're Throughout throughout the team, they're all players who work very very hard, um, you know, playing total football. You know, whether it's the, it's a Milik or a Lewandowski tracking back or Krakowiak, you know, running all about midfield for for Sevilla. Uh, I think these are all players who work very hard at club level and, and national team level, and I think they're just, you know, a, a little bit tired and and you know couldn't reach within themselves to 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 break up that uh, to break up that. Uh, that result against Portugal, I, I think that there, and also I think that you know, much like a couple other teams we've seen at this tournament, notably uh, Ireland and Sweden, that uh, for as as fine as their um, their starting eleven are, uh, they really don't have a lot of players on the bench that can change a game, and I think we saw that. Uh, you know, I'm not saying Kiputska is a, a great player, but you know, there's really very little in the way of of options that Novaka had off the bench, and I think that they. 
they might have been undone by that a little bit. That you know, we've seen how important changes have been for for most of the teams that are still in the tournament. Uh, you know, the introduction of Sanchez to Portugal's lineup, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that you know, Navalka not having uh, more options to 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 chop and change uh, when necessary uh, was a little bit of a, a letdown for them. Yeah, and it, Sam, it would be a real frustration for someone like Milik, who who had plenty of chances, especially with Lewandowski so tied up so often, that he never really got hit the ground running like another good striker might have had the chance to. Yeah, that was uh, that was that was gr- uh, a bit grim for Milik, really, wasn't it? I mean, it started with the Northern Ireland game, and he did eventually get the goal, didn't he? it? Was it was him, but um, he missed he missed at least two excellent chances, uh, and that sort of carried on from there and. Eventually, looked like he just lost his confidence a little bit. His left foot is 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 a fantastic, it, it, it's a wonderful weapon, and he can he can he can strike a ball really nicely. But just like Lewandowski, is the conversa- uh, the, the the confidence just kind of drained away as the games went by. That happened to Milik as well. You're right; it was a really good opportunity for him because when Lewandowski was being triple marked, the ball was falling to Milik. They just needed him to put it in the net, and it didn't happen. I thought him and Lewandowski had some really nice periods of play in that game against Portugal early on, first 20 minutes or so. Nice one-touch football, nice use of space, but they really faded over the course of that game and in the end were sort of hanging on. And the point made about the, the lack of substitutions, the lack of depth is spot on for me. Uh, the Volca had no no, no sort of options on the bench and nor no one he could trust anyway, and that, that ultimately played a big part in the downfall. I reckon they were knackered. All of yeah. them. They were ab- ab- just absolutely knackered, just like against uh, against Switzerland. They start they start off all right, but uh, as the second half uh, goes on, uh, they just uh, have no response because physically it's just uh, too uh, too difficult. I'm quite uh, happy that Lewandowski scored his goal because otherwise it would have been a failed tournament for him. It was a good finish. Uh, Milik is uh, is not. Uh, I haven't I haven't watched him. Um, closely enough, probably over the, the course of those five Polish games, but uh, he doesn't um, it doesn't strike me as a as a forward who can who can hit a ball from from distance. And he tried that at least five times, and uh, I don't believe uh, none of them were on target or at least uh, dangerous for the uh, Portuguese goalkeeper. So that was uh, that was a bit disappointing. Uh, I like Krzysztof Um He was uh, he was good. Uh, shielding the defence, organising the play, so we know what we're going to, what he's going to, what we're going to have at PSG. Um, but uh, yeah, and I extreme, yeah, I was extremely impressed with um, uh, Glick, the, the centre back, who uh, I believe was uh, really the uh, um, the boss at at, uh, at the back. So Monaco, he's gone, getting, he's uh, gone to Monaco now, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Monaco getting a, a very very good defender. Not that they don't, they don't have any. Uh, already, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a great it's a great team and it's a great shame that uh, they got uh, so they got knocked out. But uh, you know, someone someone had to lose, um, and um, yeah, that's that's penalties. Yeah, it is a shame, but at least we we get to look forward to the likes of uh, of uh, Krakowiak returning to Liga, and, and like we already mentioned, Gleek look is pretty much on his way to Monaco as well. It'd be exciting to see those in the in the French division next season. I'm, just before we go, I'm gonna. I'm going to put you all on the spot here. As this is our last podcast before the final. Our, our final podcast will come out after the final has been completed. So I am going to get your predictions on who will win it. I'll start with you, Eric. Who do you think wins it? Uh, I think France beats Portugal in the final. Hmm. Interesting one, well, Philip. Same. And Sam, what are you going for? <laughs> Sorry, Germany win. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. And I, I, 
I, I will try and split the hairs and try and do the risky one again, and I say Wales over France in the final. But uh, that's that's maybe my heart talking instead of my head, but never mind. Uh, that's all we have for this week. My thanks for Sam and to Eric and to Philip for joining me. Thank you all for listening at home, and get comfy. These final three games are going to be something maybe a little bit special. Abianto and farewell.